Welcome back to the Influencer Podcast. This is episode number 328. And today we are with one of my friends and one of the funniest people I know, Laura Belgray. Laura just came out with her first book yesterday. So it is now available wherever books are sold. And it is one that you're going to want to get your hands on if you like to laugh. Laura's book, Tough Titties, on living your best life when you're the effing worst is literally one of those books that you will not be able to put down. I can't even get through that title without laughing. What I love about Laura is how honest and authentic she truly is to herself. In this memoir, you are going to hear a hilarious collection of full body cringe, watch through your fingers life lessons that her own husband calls loser sex in the city. She shares everything on how to grow up master your success, and do all the things that you want to do while at the same time not always being picture perfect and checking all of the boxes. This is a really fun conversation, one that is unabashedly Laura, and I can't wait for you to check it out and grab a copy of her new book. Let's get started. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon. If you found yourself here, it means you are ready to unleash the powerful visionary that lives inside you, turning you into an authentic leader who creates influence, impact, and change. Let's get started. This is Laura Belgray. Hello, hello. Hello, Ms. Julie Solomon. I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm so excited to have you. It's been a minute since you've been on the Influencer Podcast. It has. What was it, 2019? I think so. But, I like, mean, way before times. Oh, yeah. It was like mm-hmm. 2018, 2019, which is a yeah. great episode. A lot of, lot of value in that episode. But this episode's going to be a little bit different. This conversation mm-hmm. is about, drum roll please, <laughs> your first incredible, amazing new book that is officially out in the world as of yesterday. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so excited. I know. It's so amazing. And what I love about your book, and we're going to dive into all the goodness, but it's it's not a business self-helpy type of book that someone that normally listens to this podcast would expect an author and friend that I had come on to talk about the podcast to be about. This is definitely, I think it's way more, I mean, it's a memoir. It's got a lot of lessons and elements in there, but Mm -hmm. when it comes to the story, and of course you're such an incredible storyteller, it's got a lot of that in there. And most importantly, it's fun and it's funny and it makes you laugh and it makes you remember that even with all the craziness that can happen in life, everything's going to be okay. Even when it's not, it's going to be fine. (laughs) So let's talk about that. The title tough titties. Mm -hmm. So on living your best life when you're the effing worst, of course, Laura Belgray would have a title (laughs) as amazing as that. So why, why tough titties? Okay. So originally like my working title for this book before I knew what it was. And I was just telling my stories about being like a dorky misfit growing up in New York and um, it's kind of a coming of age thing was new dork city. I didn't really know what it was. I was like, well, that doesn't really express everything it is. It just expresses the dork and the New York part. But um, then I found myself saying something that I say all the time one day, which was tough titties. 
and it's probably because I'm 12 and I'm sure it was in response to something someone said like so and so wants you to do this or or we think you should do this or you know something about something around expectations of me and to that I said tough titties and I realized oh my gosh I say that all the time that is the name of my book because it is to me well first of all it has the whiff of in the 1980s, like terry cloth halter top, roller skates, <clears throat> etc. But also, it is the ultimate sorry, not sorry, like a non-apology for um, doing away with the supposed tos. It's what I say to the supposed tos in life because I'm just not a supposed to person. And so, this book is for it's for both for people like me who are like just can't get with cannot get what the supposed to's, can't bring themselves to check all the boxes. And then the others who are natural box checkers, but would like permission not to be. And I think that nails it perfectly. I mean, this, this, this read, it, it, it's a fast read just because it's so freaking hilarious and you can't put it down. And the storytelling is so good for those that don't know Laura. I mean, she's a phenomenal writer and always has been and a great, and a great storyteller. So it's only natural that those two things would come together so beautifully in this book. But what I love about it is that in the day and age of so much of what we see on social media and the internet, which you and I both live and work on the internet, um, <laughs> that that permission that you give people just to kind of step into like, sometimes we fail and that's okay. Sometimes it's not always rainbows and butterflies. Sometimes it's just effing horrible. And here's how I got through it. And I think that that's what makes it so relatable. And that's what makes the reader be able to find themselves in all of the stories that you share. And before we dive into specifics about that, I would love to know how were you able to figure out what stories to add in? And I'm sure there were some stories that didn't make. Uh-huh. Oh gosh. It was so hard because I, I, I would call this first book syndrome. That's what I suffered from where you just want to tell everything that you've ever told every, every story you've ever loved or told anyone. Um, every story that anyone has told you should go in your book. It's so many where people are like, that's got to go in your book. And for some reason, I was thinking of every other person except except for the reader. I was thinking like, oh, my friend Vic wants it to be, you know, wants me to have more stories of Hebrew school. And this person said the story, said the book should be called Mugging Money and be all about New York in the 70s. And so I just kept thinking of these different voices, um, which is absolutely the wrong way to go about writing a book. And uh, so it was tough to figure out what to cut because I had to cut a lot. I mean, even the final version of the stories I was including was like a hundred thousand words and the book was supposed to be 75. So I had to do a lot of word cutting to keep them all in. But generally um, when I was culling them and deciding this stays, this goes, this stays, this goes, it's like anything that didn't fit the themes of either fitting in, trying to fit in, struggling to fit in, um, or standing out of being yourself of, um, all the different supposed to's the, you know, that I go against the ways that I don't comply with what one is supposed to do. So late bloomer stories, 
um, anything about doing things on the quote unquote wrong timeline in the wrong order or just late in life, those went in and anything about, you know, uh, you're supposed to have kids. I don't have kids. You're supposed to be good. You're supposed to climb the corporate ladder and be ambitious and become a CEO. I could not get with corporate. I only lasted six months uh, in my only nine to five job. So those stories made it in. And the ones that were kind of gratuitous, like funny, but why am I telling this? They had to come out. Mm. Oh, that's so good. And and it's good in, in, in that process of thinking about it in terms of like the the experience as a whole, what are you wanting the reader to walk away with? Or what are you wanting yeah. them to experience as they're reading through that? Speaking of that, and, and really in the context and the lens of social media, you know, we're in this day and age where it gets very quickly sick and tiring to hear people constantly just tell you to just be yourself. If you mm-hmm. just be yourself and you'll make a million dollars, just be yourself. <laughs> and it's like, what does that even mean if yeah. I don't know who I am or if I'm trying to fit into these boxes or if I feel like I need this endless amount of permission in order to step into what that is? And so how do you use this story and in this book, really, the stories in the book to give people that permission to just be themselves? I think I demonstrate throughout most of the stories that a lot of my flaws which I'm very honest about. I don't try to hide them. I kind of, you know, I leverage them that they ended up working out in my favor. So it gives people, and because I'm so clear about them and pretty much flaunt them, like uh, my inability to get anywhere on time or to get up at a certain hour or to um, anticipate a boss's needs and, you know, rise up the ladder in that way, in that setting and be a great employee back when I was in my twenties, all of those give someone the relief of like, Oh, I'm not alone. It's okay to be me because it's okay for her to be her. I think, um, being an example of being yourself and expressing that gives other people permission. So it's not, you know, be like me, have the same flaws as me, and then you'll be yourself. It's more, um, I like to think of it as, you know, that person, like you go to a fancy party and you're wearing the wrong thing. And then you see somebody wearing jeans and you're like, and that's, a, and they seem really comfortable in their jeans and not ashamed of them. And you're like, oh, thank God that person's wearing jeans. It was okay to dress like this. I, I'm going to wear jeans at the next party, or I'm so glad I wore jeans to this party. So it's really seeing somebody else be there, be their true selves is it, it creates a ripple effect where, you know, then you have permission to do it and you doing it, give someone else permission to do it and so on and so on. Did you have, and I want to get to some of the stories that I just personally connected with in the book in just a moment, but did you, did you ever, cause you also, you're a great writer and I, I've said that Thank a few you. times and I'll keep saying that. And there, there is a, a strategy with storytelling and an intentionality that has to happen. When you, when you went in, and this is kind of just a, a good question for my writers out there. When you went in to write this, were you thinking about like, what kind of stories would maybe get this picked up for a television series one day? What kind of stories would pick, pique the interest of Reese Witherspoon to like get her little, you know, hands <laughs> in this? Were you thinking in those ways? And, and really the reason why I'm asking that is because storytelling 
on various platforms can then, you know, it's a different experience for different things and it can kind of um, make it come to life in new ways. And so when you approach the art of storytelling and the art of writing, were you thinking about that in ways too with the, cho- with the choices that you made? I really wasn't. Uh, I, I think a lot of people have reacted to the book by saying it's, oh, this is meant to be a series. This has to yeah. be a TV series. And so I'm so glad that it's seen that way. I really just enjoyed writing it and writing these stories that I've been telling for years or that I've been thinking about for years or that have been haunting me for years and like putting them on the page and getting to tell them to a broader audience than just like the few friends who are like, yeah, we know, we know you, you know, dated a married salsa instructor for two and a half years. We had to have brunch with him. Um, So I, it was, just fun for me to put them on the page and get them out there. But I did like, there are some stories in there that I've always thought would be a good TV show or movie. For instance, that one that I just named, um, because there was so much, there was dance in it. And originally I was going to write a book just on that one story, uh, originally being back in like 2001 when I was dating the guy. And, and, and I was consumed by the story that was my life at the time, like the shit show and thinking, well, at least it'll be a great story, maybe for a movie or TV. Well, and it, and that's every, like when I was reading it, that's what was coming off the page. It was so visual and I could see it and I could feel it. And, and, um, that's, I'm, I'm putting that out in the universe for you. Thank you. I mean, I would love to see it on TV, especially the, like, the story about Studio 54, I feel mm. like um, it's the story that's not told. When you see footage of Studio from the 70s and early 80s, it's like, you know, uh, Diana Ross and Ryan O'Neill and Mick Jagger and Bianca Jagger. Um, all of them. Yes, Halston, <laughs> always Halston, Liza Minnelli, all partying together, Andy Warhol. Um, you, you don't see the 14-year-old dork uh, whose friend gets dragged out by her mother in the middle, right. like 10 minutes after you got there. So, and, you know, you don't see people with braces trying to hide their braces and um, wondering what they should do with their hands. Oh, it's so good. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. Well, let's <laughs> let's dive into some of those stories. I first want to talk about because I think that this is a this is this is one of those things that it's like so many people can relate to it, but they would never want to admit it. 
And it kind of comes into whether that's like, oh, I've been secretly stalking my ex-boyfriend on Instagram just to see, like, is his life Mm -hmm. miserable or is it fabulous without (laughs) me? What's happening? Um, And so you have a great story about you had this sixth grade person that was not Mm -hmm. very kind to you, that (laughs) was a bit of a mean girl and a bully. And decades later you discover her on social media. I would love for you to kind of share what happens with that and how this relates back to that idea of just honoring all the parts of yourself, uh-huh. giving yourself kind of that grace and also like tough titties. It happens. Yeah. You know, that chapter, which is the first chapter, Deb Fishbone likes this, came from, came out of a writing workshop that I went to. It was actually Danny Shapiro's writing workshop. I don't know if you know Danny Shapiro's work, but um, great author and, I was reading, I think I submitted a different story um, and we're talking about it. It was, I guess, the notorious chapter nine in the book, which I won't say aloud. And so I think the essence of someone's question was basically, who hurt you? Like, what happened to you? And why were you like this? And I was like, well, probably also, I, I guess my origin story is probably being bullied in sixth grade, like by this chick, Beth, sorry, Deb Fishbone, who stole my best friend. Um, and they were, and I told them what she did and they were like, so what happened to this butt munch? And I was like, well, I actually friend God knows why, but I actually friended her on Facebook and they're like, so what's she like? I'm like, I don't see that much, but what I do see, most of what I see of her is her liking major retailers, like, you know, back Back in the day, um, Bloomingdale's or Revolve Clothing or whatever it was would say, like us on Facebook. And some people like her would. And so every ad I saw uh, over, like right on top of it would say, Deb Fishbone likes this. So it's like Bloomingdale's, Deb Fishbone likes this. Shop Bop, Deb Fishbone likes this. Nordstrom's, Deb Fishbone, Deb Fishbone likes this. So I found this delightful because to me, it was evidence that she was incredibly basic that this person who had ruined my life in sixth grade turned out to be totally unremarkable. And it was just what I wanted to see. And it wasn't the things that she liked so much. Like I order from shop Bop all day long. Um, I, I like major retailers. I'm terrible. Um, but like my, my husband's like, Oh great. you got another box from Nordstrom's. It was more just this robotic, obedient liking of everything. Like I just pictured her and delighted in picturing her in a dull office like an insurance, she works in insurance. I looked her up, stalked her a little bit, a little bit, works in insurance, something with trip and falls. Um, and my guess is that she's the one who trips you. And uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed picturing her having a dull life in that office, ordering things when she's supposed to be, um, you know, finishing contracts. And meanwhile, I have on the other side of the split screen, I have this wonderful life. And it's a fantasy, so just go with it. But, um, you know, like out to dinner with my husband and our cool friends at the coolest restaurant and the chef sending us all kinds of things, you know, compliments of the kitchen that we don't have to pay for. And then by day, I'm doing just the work that fuels me, getting paid to be the exact thing that she bullied me for, which is being myself mm. and being on stages, giving a keynote about Deb Fishbone and how I don't give a shit about her anymore, though obviously I clearly do. 
<laughs> and owning it. It's the beautiful and thing. Owning it. And, and what did like, well, and just even how that one story in Danny's writing class yeah. obviously became a chapter in your book, but like, how did that then allow you to uncover these things about yourself that, you know, a lot of us would feel shame or guilt or remorse, or we should feel bad for thinking those things or feeling those mm. things. But how does that actually give you permission to forgive? It gives you permission to move on. It gives you permission to laugh. And, and, and also it gives you permission to, I think, be grateful for your life the way that it is and what uh -huh. you have and what's in front of you. So like, how, how did that allow, allow those things to evolve? Yeah, cause I know that the message in the end of this kind of story should be, and then I decided to let go, forgive, move on, you know, give up the grudge, uh, bless and release, and all those spiritual things, and have compassion for the hurt child she must have been to cause me pain deliberately. But then I'm just like, you know what, screw that, because my pettiness gives me energy. I, I felt like this chapter was permission to be your bad petty self. Because aren't we all a little bit sometimes? And maybe it feels a little bit good. I'm not saying to hold on to your grudges, like, you know, grudges that really matter and really hurt you. <laughs> sure, it's a good idea to forgive for your own self. But sometimes it's fun to just be petty and think, um, you know, think evil thoughts about somebody and stalk them <laughs> on social media and feel like your life is great by comparison, whether it's based in fact or just your fantasies. And also, I think this, you know, an important lesson that came out of this was that for so long, because, because she stole my best friend and kicked me out of my friend group and scarred me, like just created a year of hell, which made me not want to go to school and not want to face anybody. And I got mean letters, et cetera. I mean, we all know how that story goes. Um, I was, I became desperate to fit in. Like the, the moral of the story for me then was fit in at all costs, that standing out, that being your weird self is the kiss of death. And the rest of life as an adult uh, is an exercise in forgetting that lesson that, you know, was not, it's not a good one to learn. It's not a good one to carry around uh, because when you're an adult and especially if you have a business, like especially a business like we do, where we are personal brands, standing out and being your weird self is where it's at and fitting in is the kiss of death. Being the same as everyone else means you're invisible and really have nothing to offer. And so you have to be the cur have the courage to be yourself. And that gives other people, the way I was talking about before, the courage to be themselves. And they are drawn to you and you attract the right people, um, the right weirdos for you. And all good things come from being unapologetically you and forgetting about uh, that forgetting that at a time, one person disliking you could ruin your life. When you're mm -hmm. a grown up, that can't happen unless they sue you, which is what I'm trying to avoid by changing her name. Oh, it's not Deb Fishbone. I'm shocked. <laughs> I was kind of hoping yeah. it was just because that is mm -hmm. so ridiculous. I know it's close. It's close to that. And legal was like really making some allowances when they 
when they let me call her that even. Right, right. She knows. Yeah, I think she knows. She knows Let's just, she is. Yes. <laughs> just not enough, not clearly enough for her to bring a defamation suit. Yes. Well, speaking of courage, um, there you had a lot of courageous moments in this, and I, I want to talk about it with with courage to leave the corporate world. I don't know if leave <laughs> is, is, the, is the right word there, but that's what I'm going to go with. Mm-hmm. So if you'll kind of share that, because there's so many listeners of this podcast that they, you know, they, they, they're, it's like they're constantly seeking that courage or they're seeking that confidence or they're seeking that clarity to do it. For a lot of us, we don't really have the option. It's like we either hit a rock bottom or we get fired or we fall flat on our face. And then like, there's only one way to go. And that's this entrepreneurial way. But I want to hear your story of, from what happened to you with you, um, where that courage came from, if it ever actually existed and, and, and how that led you into the work that you do now. You know, I don't know if it really existed. I mean, the first time around when I was in my twenties and had a job at a very buttoned up magazine, um, it was a, my second job in magazines. And the first one was like, get a cool hit magazine and fun. And then this one was very corporate and I was expected to follow chain of command and you're expected to wear you know, power suits and dress up office appropriate. And I was there in my baby tees um, and like with a little strip of midriff showing. And um, that one, I just couldn't, I couldn't make it work. I knew, I knew going in that I kind of hated the job offer itself. Like I was like, I don't like it here, but I'm going to take the job because that's the, that's the next step that you take. Um, Like, I guess this is me being an adult And then I couldn't do any of the adulting I was required to do in the job, like get there on time and, um, and right the way my boss wanted me to, she wanted everything to be elegant. You know, she would say, I want it to be elegant up here. And I thought everything should be cheeky and fun. Um, and within six months, she called me into her office and said, it's not working out. And I didn't try very hard to change her mind. I was like, oh, are you sure there's nothing I can do to change your mind? She's like, I'm afraid not. And then I kind of skipped out with my pink slip. And so there was no courage required there. Um, (laughs) It's like, I I also had a cushion of living at home. And so I I lived at home till I was 26 and I was 24 at the time. I told you I was a late bloomer. Um, So that wasn't a courageous act. It was just a like me refusing to get with the program and, and go for it in that department. But then later, I think this is what you're more referring to. Uh, when I was around 40, I was, I had been working in TV promos for years and years, um, about 15 years. And I was feeling a bit complacent at this point, a little squirrely, like I was in a creative rut. Um, I was, I didn't feel like I was having great ideas anymore. I felt like the shows we were working on were kind of, uh, but I still had a good time at work and didn't know what else I would do. I knew I had, I knew that I should be doing something bigger. Like at this point I was writing promos for this long, like 15 years. I definitely, um, overshot the, you know, the, the greatness curve, like the improvement curve, I should say. Um, and was not getting any better at, at what I did. And I wanted to write something bigger 
better, something in my voice, something maybe important or great and entertaining. But that doesn't mean that I quit and said, I'm, I'm quitting this to go work on a screenplay or whatever. I didn't do anything like that. I was just complacent. And one day my uh, boss at my main contract, I had a big six figure contract at one place that I considered my, you know, my work home and I considered them my employer. Um, she called me into her office and I was like, oh yeah, sure. Is this about the Betty White project? I have a couple of ideas. And she's like, no, it's not. Uh, why don't you close the door? And you know, that's always the sign that, uh, someone's about to say, we're letting you go, which she did. And I was devastated because that was my home. And I knew that that money was going to be really hard to make up. And at this point, it wasn't, I wasn't going to be desperate. I wasn't going to be on the street, but I had a mortgage to pay. I had, um, you know, I had bills. I was an adult. I was not living at home anymore and a lifestyle to accommodate. I, I spend a lot of money. Uh, so I can't say it was rock bottom desperate times, but I was devastated and thought like, how am I going to make up this money? I need to make up this income. And as luck would have it, I had started taking some clients in the online world um, who had come to me because my friend Marie Forleo, who I had met years before in like 2003 in hip hop class at Crunch, she asked me to, she like taught me the ropes a little bit of online business, um, told me to put an opt-in on my website. And I was like a what in and she diagrammed like how you do it, et cetera, told me to build an email list, told me I should blog. I didn't know to what end I was doing all these things. She also asked me to speak at her first in-person event, which was called Rich, Hop Rich Happy and Hot Live. And it was in the, it was like for 50 people in the Soho library. Um, so this was soon before I was fired. And at this event, I gave a talk on copywriting and a few people came up to me afterwards and said, oh, hey, I'm a realtor and I need help with my website copy. Can you help me? Can I hire you? And I was like, yeah, sure. Totally different kind of work than I'd done before. I didn't know anything about, quote, direct response copy or website copy. I just knew that I would do a better job at it than most people could because I knew how to write in a human voice. So I was like, yeah, I can help you with that. And someone else was like, hi, I'm a coach. Can you help me with my copy? Yes, I can help you with help with your copy. And so I had started taking on some clients and by word of mouth had, you know, had a little pipeline of those private clients while I was doing TV. And I also had been building a list and not a big list. It was like a couple of hundred people. But so when I got let go from this huge client, I was like, okay, how am I going to make up this income? And I decided to send an email to my little list and saying that my services were available. And I also put a services page up on my website. And I was like, it's, try it's time to go for more of these people, these weird online coaches and solopreneurs and people adding preneur to everything they did. I'm a mommypreneur, I'm a doggypreneur, every kind of preneur. And it's like, you know what? It's good money. They're nice. I help them. It really makes it like this kind of copy actually makes a difference to someone's entire business that they can measure. Um, so that's pretty nice. And they pay what I ask, which was also great. There was no haggling. There was nobody saying like, 
well, that's more than I make. So I'm not going to pay you that, which is something I would encounter in promos. Like, you know, I want to charge 2000 for this job. Well, that's more than I make. So I'm going to hire somebody else. Um, so that's how I ended up segueing. And it was not a courageous move, except maybe saying, putting myself out there and saying, hey, I have these services. Would you like to take me up on them? That part of it took some courage. But I was lucky to have that sort of as a as an overlap while I was doing promos. So I didn't have to take this huge courageous leap of I'm leaving the you know, I'm leaving the corporate world, I'm leaving promos, I'm leaving all this work behind and going to start from scratch. Um so my hats off to anybody who does something like that with no cushion at all. That is a big deal. So there was no I guess Jerry Maguire moment <laughs> in the office. <laughs> Who's but with it me? does no. it does take some courage to like you said to put the services out there and then also what I find so fascinating is that like kind of unbeknownst to you you were generating your future client leads on this email list without even having a clear yeah. quote unquote strategy or direction which is also not what anyone like not what you're supposed to do. So I think that, you know, you always being able to zig when everybody else was zagging has served you so well. I mean, we're here today talking about your soon to be best-selling book and TV show. So (laughs) clearly you've done something right. So with, with that said, and, and all the wrongs in there, and just for anyone listening again, you've got to go get this book. It's so good. You won't want to put it down. You'll, you'll laugh, you'll feel connected, you'll feel, some of you may cry. I mean, it's, it's just so good and it's so relatable and it's so real. And I think more than anything, that's all we need right now is just to laugh and to know that, you know, tough titties sometimes and that's okay. <laughs> so for anyone that has the, the excitement to either listen to the book, because I know it will be available on Audible or to read the book. If, if anyone's still like me and they're like, you know, the dinosaurs, they actually like to hold a book and read it and flip through pages and smell and, you know, all of the, those kinds of things. What do you hope that um, the reader takes away when she or he or they are closing the last page? I hope they take away a great feeling of relief of, I'm not alone. I'm not behind um, because that's a big theme of the book. I'm not, I'm not behind and I am okay being who I am with all my flaws. Even if I do not think the way everyone claims to think on social media and I am not always full of love and light, I am sometimes the effing worst (laughs) and I'm okay with that. Just, yeah, I want a feeling of relief. Like, I'm okay being me. I love that. And I I love just the, just the pure, unabashed ownership of that. And I think that the world needs more of that too. So with that said, Laura, if you'll please let all of our amazing listeners and viewers know where they can buy the book, where they can hear more about you and the amazing work that you do outside of being an author and where they can find you on social. You bet please come over to toughtittiesbook.com. It, it's actually a redirect. It'll redirect you to talkingshrimp.com slash book. Talkingshrimp, 
Facebook.com is my digital home. That's where my company is. And you can find freebies there that are going to be great for your business, especially if you email a list and or have to write any of your own copy um, and do it in a way that stands out. And then please come find me at uh, I'm at Laura Bell Gray uh, on Instagram. And so that's my main platform. I will, you know, eventually answer you on LinkedIn, um, but it might take a little while. Instagram is where I'm at. Slash it's not happening. Go to Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Tough titties. Tough titties. You want to go to Instagram, people. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for being with us, Laura. It's so just fun and exciting for me to support you and support this incredible piece of work that you now have out into the world. Um, it is not easy and you are just the person to write this book. It was meant for you. You were meant for it. And I'm excited for everyone to get their hands on it. Uh, Julie, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I love being here. As always, thank you so much for joining me today and every week here on the Influencer Podcast. If you're wanting to dive deeper into the topics and discussions that we have here, I would encourage you to head over to juliesolomon.net and sign up for my weekly newsletter. It is in our amazing newsletter community that we are able to really support you on a much larger scale. And I love to do a ton of amazing things that I send inside your inbox every single week. So just head over to juliesolomon.net. You'll see a little spot there that you can add your information in and you will get on the list and start receiving all all of that good stuff.